if you have one student coming up with an idea, all of a sudden you have 10 students that have that idea too. So how do I anticipate that to make sure that kids are having those light bulb moments, those moments that matter when they're the ones kind of driving the learning? That's kind of hard to do. But I think teaching kids how to brainstorm and how to get feedback from their peers and how to ask for feedback from adults and also kind of coaching the kids through how do you give each other meaningful feedback and go beyond just saying, Oh, In another cool. Where Are They Now episode, we bring back hey, on sixth grade math that? teacher so Sam Brotherton from St. Louis, Missouri. Sam's back to talk about the changes he's made in his classroom around assessment, lesson design, and how practice fits in. He also talks to us about his new challenges around personalized learning. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where we talk with a member of the Math Moment Maker community who is working through struggles, and together we brainstorm possible next steps and strategies to overcome them. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from tapintoteenminds.com. And I'm John Orr from mrorr-isageek.com. We are two math teachers who together, with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to Creating Balance in Personalized Learning, a math mentoring moment with Sam Brotherton. Before we get to our interview with Sam, we want to remind you that you too can join us for a Math Mentoring Moment episode on this podcast. In these episodes, we talk with teachers about real issues that arise in their classrooms, and together we work through possible solutions. We know that our listeners, math educators like you, will also get a lot of value out of the conversation by listening in on that conversation. If you have a problem of practice or classroom struggle that you want to chat with us about, head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor and fill out this quick form. We won't be able to talk to everyone who fills out the form, but we will make every effort to hear a variety of voices and classroom struggles. Again, head to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor to apply. Well, Kyle, the ratings and reviews keep coming in and we couldn't be more excited to read them. Like this five-star rating and review from Escobob. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've been teaching for over 30 years and still struggle with some of the concerns discussed by you and your guests. It feels great to know that I'm not alone. My memorable math moments from middle school were mostly negative, so I am very focused on creating positive experiences for my students. In a recent episode, you talked about three-act math tasks. I love the taco cart task, which thanks to you guys, I will use as an intro to the Pythagorean theorem instead of a midway task. Thanks again and keep the episodes coming. Hashtag better together. I agree that reflection may keep me up at night, but it also keeps me fresh and young. Your podcasts provide much food for thought and I approximate it, he says. Awesome stuff there. Wow, thanks so much uh, for that fantastic Math Moment Maker community review. That person took the time to help ensure the podcast reaches the ears of more math educators around the globe. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? It only takes a minute. Fire us an honest rating and review. Wow, do we have a lot of goodies to share with you? And it all revolves around the Math Moment Maker Academy. Right now, for a limited time, we have a 30-day free teacher license available for any math moment maker from around the world to access our academy professional development courses, including our courses on spiraling, assessment, math tech tools, and even our latest course on how to make math moments from a distance. These self-paced courses are jam-packed with videos and action items to get you reflecting and growing your math content knowledge and pedagogical practice. Also, gain access to our monthly Q&A web calls, both live and the replay recordings, the over 20 virtual summit sessions from this past November, and our Make Math Moments problem-based tasks and full units of study with teacher guides are available for you to access. 
Get on it before it goes away at makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. All right, on to our chat with Sam. Hey there, Sam. Welcome back to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. It's awesome to have an opportunity to do a check-in, a where are they now episode here on the podcast. How are things going over in St. Louis? Well, things are great in St. Louis. Last time we talked, the Blues were in last place, and uh, <laughs> we know how they turned that around. Yeah, as far as teaching goes, I've got some new things happening, so awesome. excited to talk about it. Yeah, looking forward to talking about all of that stuff. Last time we chatted with you was way back in episode 13. And Sam, for all of those listening that haven't heard that episode just yet, can you do us a favor and fill everyone in on, uh, we said that you're from St. Louis, but maybe let us know maybe more specifically, and then also your teaching role. Sure. So last time we talked, I was teaching sixth grade math. And the big focus of our conversation was when you have these kids engaged doing three act tasks, and then you come back to class two or three days later, it seems like nothing's stuck. So what can you do to follow up the engaging stuff that you're doing to make sure that kids are having deeper connections? So you guys gave me some good tools that I could implement just to go over like on day-to-day lessons to make sure that all of the great discourse that we were having was actually getting the results that we were looking for. You want me to talk about what I'm doing now as well? Yeah, well, actually, it's like you read our mind. We were about to just dive in there. And I guess the only other thing I'll do is if anyone who hasn't listened to episode 13, definitely a good idea to roll back to that one. Maybe hit that pause button, go back and listen in because like you were saying there, Sam, you were talking about all kinds of great things going on. Like you're using three act math tasks. You even described like how you have almost like a vertical, non-permanent 360 room, like a big whiteboard room in there, getting kids up and doing all kinds of great things. You talked about Desmos and how you were almost like desmifying <laughs> as many lessons as possible, trying to make it nice and interactive. And one of those concerns was kind of how that translated into assessment. So that's kind of a, in a nutshell, what we were discussing. And we did talk about consolidating and some practice structures. So yeah, definitely give folks an update as to like, where are things at there? And like we always say, it's always a work in progress, but how has things been going and how have things been progressing since we last chatted back when the blues were in last place? Yeah. So I think just one thing to add on to that episode that we talked about, when we recorded that, I was in my fifth year teaching and coming out of college, there's, I mean, you can get online and just type in math lessons, middle school, and there's so much stuff out there. Trying to synthesize everything and put it together can be really overwhelming. So I think listening to myself in that episode a year ago, it's like, I have all these cool tools in my tool belt, and I just don't know how to always put them together the right way. So I think that was something that we had some great conversations around. But as far as now, my district is starting to say we're more than dipping our toes into the whole personalized learning movement. We have an elementary school that they built three years ago called Mosaic that's all centered around personalized learning. So they're trying to connect that idea of personalized learning to the middle school level. So just this year, I am teaching a hybrid math social studies class, sixth grade, that centers around personalized learning. So I'm taking some of my old practices, but evolving in a lot of ways and learning a lot along the way. Gotcha. Good to know that you guys are working towards that. Now, Sam, I'm wondering for all of our listeners, personalized learning can mean lots of different things. I think it's running through people's ears right now going, well, don't I do personal learning or what is personal learning? What would you define personal learning to mean to you or your district? Yeah, that's a really tough question because I think even within my district, if you ask different teachers that are in the trenches right now with personalized learning, we're going to give you different answers. I think one misconception with personalized learning is that it's kids do whatever they want. Kids don't have deadlines and they'll eventually figure it out. I would say for me, personalized learning is when you get to that sweet spot where kids are identifying the problems and kids are coming up with the solutions to the problems using the standards you want them to learn. That's pretty much my definition. I love that. I'm actually just coming back. Just last week, I spent the week in Israel with one of our former guests from our Math Council episode, Craig Guthrie. We went over there to work with some math teachers and 
they're very heavy into the idea of personalized learning. And, you know, I know there's some other terms we were chatting about it in email before we came online tonight to chat. There's these other ideas like this individualization and differentiation. We use the term differentiation on the podcast a lot. And like John said, I think what it looks like and sounds like to one person might be very different to another. So I know for me, it's like, I think John and I have taken the approach in previous years or recent years, I should say, and trying to allow some of that personalization, but kind of mixing it in with this idea of differentiation. So it's kind of like a bit of a mix of those two. How is that looking and sounding in your classroom? Like, how are you feeling that your progress and maybe even just speaking in general to maybe some of the other teachers in your district, like, how has that more than dipping your toes in, as you mentioned, how's that going? Because I know that that could be a really challenging idea to try to grapple with if, let's say, you're coming from a pretty traditional sort of approach to teaching a subject like mathematics. I think for me, just kind of the difference in how my philosophy of teaching is not as much how can I get kids excited about math because I love math, but how can I empower my kids to be excited about learning in general? So it sounds kind of corny, but thinking with that mindset has pushed me to say, you know what, sometimes these three-act tasks that I think are awesome and fun, like you know that fruity problem that we linked in episode 13 like there's a really fun lesson but then the next day the kids kind of are back in their same old routine so what i'm trying to do in my classroom this year is think about how i can differentiate how i can individualize and how i can personalize and in some ways i have my own definition of those so for differentiation that's just all the kids are learning the same skill, but they're getting what they need to learn that skill. So if you're talking about learning ratios, some students might need blocks to help them understand the concept of ratios. Some students might be ready for double number lines. Some students might be ready for a ratio table. And then there's individualization, which might mean I have a student who's on a second grade level and a student who's on an eighth grade level. And one of those students needs to go back and learn how to do perimeter, whereas one of those students is ready to start solving systems of equations. So when there's time for students to work individually, I'm giving them the individual skill that they need to either close gaps or move forward. And then like we kind of talked about, or like I said earlier, that personalization piece is students are saying, okay, here's a problem that I see, or here's something that I'm excited about. Can I demonstrate my learning in some different way? So we can talk a little bit more about that too. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is uh, all good stuff for sure. Things are running through my head right now on what this looks like in your classroom. So you've given me some suggestions on the definitions of these terms and uh, thinking about personalization. So you said you've been using three-act math tasks and other things, but you wanted that engagement, but you were struggling with like how to keep that learning going, which is what we talked about on the last episode too. I'm wondering, like, how does this personalization for you fit in with three act math tasks? What does that look like for you? How are you taking what this project or this new plan with your district and tying in these best practices that you already know about? For sure. So I kind of have to go back a little bit last year to when I found out that I was going to be doing this. Our district did a ton of professional development. So I went and saw different schools around the area. We went up to Waukesha, Wisconsin and saw some different school districts up there that are doing some personalized learning stuff. And so then I kind of had to get out of this mindset of like, I'm always leading the discussions in my classroom. So when I found out that I was doing it, they basically said they wanted more open concepts in the rooms. And my co-teacher and I love that idea. So I teach the math and social studies section to a cohort of about 50 students. And then my co-teacher teaches the ELA science section to those 50 students. And there's an opening in our classroom. So on a day-to-day basis, I have kids for two 90-minute blocks. And what that'll look like in the classroom is I have different ability groups. So there might be a day where I'm doing direct instruction. And when I say direct instruction, that might be a three-act test. So I might have one group of students who are working on percentages and another group of students who are still moving at a slower pace and might be working on ratios. So my 
group that's working on percentages, we would do like a three-act math task to introduce a topic, and then they have different practice work to do. And then there'll be other times when we switch those groups, and I'll have the kids who are working on ratios. So that's kind of the beauty of having that open concept, because we can kind of pick and pull kids as we need to, because we know that every classroom that you walk into, you're going to have that student who's on the second grade level and the student who's on the eighth grade level. So having the luxury of being able to have a little bit more flexibility and moving them around is nice. But then where the personalization piece comes in is when we talk about assessment. So instead of necessarily doing a test, I have single point rubrics that I give the students and kind of put the ownership of the standards in their hands. So I'll say, okay, we're learning about percentages. We go through it. And then about halfway through the unit of instruction, I'll kind of introduce this single point rubric and say, okay, you're going to show me that you know how to convert from decimals to fractions to percents. You're going to show me how you can use unit rates and relate that to percents. But then I want you to come up with a meaningful way to demonstrate that. So what that looks like is sometimes utter chaos, sometimes confusion from the students, sometimes a lot of frustration, but it also can create some really awesome products and some awesome learning. So for example, last week I had a couple students record their own cooking shows at home. They actually like made their own recipes and talked about the different percentages of ingredients they use. They created an ingredient list, talked about the pricing of the unit rate, the calories, and all that stuff. So that's really cool to see. When I see that, I'm like, okay, I know this student got it, and I know they're going to remember this. The trade-off, though, is will they still get that test question on the state test, right? That I don't know. That's something that's been a struggle to deal with as well. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Right, right. That sounds similar to some of the ideas that we had come up with in that first episode back in episode 13 was, again, how do we connect it all? It sounds like you're feeling really good about how this is sort of unfolding. And to me, it sounds like you're doing an awful lot of what we would probably consider to be the approach that we use in our classroom, where although on the podcast, we often are talking about problem-solving situations when we're giving problem-based lessons to students and we're doing that more whole group and we're differentiating throughout, the part that we don't talk about as much because I don't think it's interesting to talk about or to listen to on the podcast is what do we do after that? And that's where that purposeful practice comes in. And I think that's where the individualization and the personalization can kind of fit. So to me, it's sort of sounding like having kind of a happy medium or a, a balance of all three it seems really, really important. Like I'm hearing you're saying personalization and it sounds like outside of those problem-based lessons, it's very personalized. But yet inside that problem-based lesson, it sounds like it's differentiated, right? Giving students the models, the different approaches and strategies that they want to bring to the task and they can approach it any way they see. So I really like the way that's sounding. And are there any other struggles? Like you're mentioning this idea around assessment and kind of like bringing it all together. Like how's that going to translate? Are there any other struggles that are on your mind that we can dive into here as well while you're kind of unpacking some of what's happening in the classroom? 
Yeah, for sure. So one thing that we've been trying this year with some degree of success is like learner choice menus. We call it a playlist. So basically the students have the assignments that they need to get done throughout the week and they can choose kind of when they need to work on them. So like if I'm not doing a whole group lesson or we're not working on some kind of project or having some sort of discussion, they generally get what's called playlist time. And that's where I can pull kids in conference, but they can choose. So some students might be working on a social studies debate. Some students might be working on some sort of infographic. Some students might be working on their math practice that they need to do for that week. We also have some online platforms that they use. They might be doing that. But that's a real struggle to manage, especially when you're working with 11 and 12-year-olds. Because I remember when I was in middle school, whatever my teachers would let me get away with, to a certain degree, I would get away with. You know what I mean? We have the students make learner profiles at the beginning of the year. So it's like Myers-Briggs test, what motivates you, what distracts you, all that stuff. And we revisit that a lot. But the idea is we have students create these learner profiles so that they're supposed to know how do I learn best? And then we help them set goals to make the right choices based on what they know. So our classroom has flexible seating. So they have choice in where they sit, how they sit, whether that's like couches, standing, sitting. And then they have also have choice at certain times on what they're working on. And then they also have choice on how they're demonstrating things. So sometimes that can be really tough to manage. And that's probably the same sentiment that you'll get throughout the district with some of the teachers that are engulfed in this personalized learning right now. It's like, this is awesome, but it's like mentally exhausting and physically exhausting some days because you have 20 kids that want your attention all the time. They constantly want a conference. They constantly want feedback. But then there's also the aspect of I have 20% of kids who need my constant attention to make sure that they're on task and doing what they need to. So kind of juggling all that while saying, all right, I still want to do Desmos. I still want to implement the five practices of discourse. I still want to do three-act math tasks, but I still want to do all this other stuff too. It's kind of like you can't live in the personalized arena all the time. You have to kind of go back and forth between the direct instruction, differentiation, all that. It's kind of like you got to pull them together and go, okay, we're going to do this activity today and we're going to branch off and do these other things after or vice versa. And, you know, Sam, I dabbled in that arena, like the way you described that kids had a plan that these are the things we need to get done this week or in this time zone or this time of or this unit. But I have freedom in choosing when I want to do that or where I want to do that and how I want to demonstrate that. Like I had done a lot of that early in my career and it is a tough to manage because you have to be able to track that well. You got to be able to say, what learning goal is this kid on? What have they demonstrated already? I totally get that. You said it's tough. It's mentally exhausting. I'm wondering, what have you done so far that's been working for you to manage all of that? For sure. It's been mentally exhausting, but also I've had some of probably the most memorable moments as a teacher from this particular school year. But as far as managing things, Google Classroom is a big friend. We do standards-based grading, one, two, three scale, which I think helps too, because then I can talk to the kids about how, as far as math goes, I break that down by a one is you basically don't know how to do the skill we're working on. But two is you know how to do the skill, but you don't know how to demonstrate that in an applicable or meaningful way yet. And then a three is you can demonstrate that in a meaningful way. So being able to give that quick, specific feedback helps. In my classroom, on those whiteboards that are all over the place, we utilize those a lot. So I have a spot where students can sign up to conference with me, and they can sign up if they have a quick question or if they need to conference. So when students are working on different things, they can jot their name up there. So that helps me kind of manage the day-to-day stuff. Spreadsheets are super helpful. I just learned this year that you can insert checkboxes on spreadsheets, which helps me for a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, just have different tabs with all the your roster on there and 20 different tabs under it for each assignment. And you can go check, 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 not check, you know. So those are some quick little things that help. It sounds like you've got a lot of great things going on here. And despite the fact that you have a lot of great things going on, like John and I were big Google Sheet fans 
before John started using FreshGrade. I was just leaving the classroom when John started FreshGrade and really focusing in on that standards based, I think is really key, especially if you're trying to do something like what your district's doing, which is really trying to put some of that onus in the students' hands, right? Giving them a bit of that autonomy to work on what they feel they need to work on at the time. But also with, it sounds like there's a lot of that guidance with the teacher. You had already mentioned that it's mentally exhausting. You're running around and trying to stay on top. And essentially, it sounds like observe and have conversations with students so that you're not only looking at product, but really trying to triangulate data. So it sounds like a lot of amazing things going on, yet I'm still getting this sense that you've got all these ideas, there's all these things you want to do, and trying to kind of fit it in there nicely. And it makes me wonder, I'm going to mention episode 54 was a mentoring moment episode where we talked about what an effective math block could look like. And that was a big question that came up on that episode. And we really tried to give this idea of balance in there. So on that episode, you'll see there's a graphic that was designed in our district for kind of giving teachers a little bit of that flexibility on what that could look like. And I'm wondering if that graphic might be helpful for you to give yourself a little bit of a sense as to giving yourself permission that just because let's say your district is really pushing personalized learning, that every day doesn't necessarily have to look like that scenario you sort of painted for us where all students are working on different things. It today could be a problem-based lesson, and then that helps you to sort of jump off or leapfrog to the next stage in learning, but then also giving students sort of those gaps in between, you know, let's say it's Tuesdays and Thursdays where they're given that time. Uh, John and I would call those what we'd call leveling up days or assessment days or check-in days, which really sounds an awful lot about like what you're doing in your classroom. Yeah, I think you're on the right track though. I'm still having some of the same types of struggles as I was when we last recorded. It's just now in a different setting. When we first started the whole personalized learning thing last year. And when I say we, there's a group of eight sixth grade math teachers that are all in this for the first year together. So we met a lot. We went to different businesses in the area, different schools, but we created our own vision about what we think personalized learning is. And essentially, it's what I was saying before, where students are identifying problems and students are asking questions and students are coming up with solutions. So I think when we first started this, I felt like I always had to be doing that. Every single thing had to be students coming up with questions, students coming up with problems, students finding solutions to that. And it's just not realistic <laughs> to think about you know, having a classroom that runs that way. And I think I got away from some of the things that made me a strong teacher in the first place. So I've given myself permission to not necessarily structure class like that all the time. Yeah. So I'd love to check out that graphic that you were talking about from episode 54, because I think it could definitely help me. One thing I have done to just create a little bit more structure for me and for the kids is just to have two overall, and we'll call them ability groups, but two groups that are working on different units from Open Up Resources. So I printed out, I get they're basically little packets from Open Up Resources with the practice problems for the unit. And then I give the kids those packets. So the way that I see it is kind of like that's where I can do a direct instruction lesson from Open Up Resources. And then they have the practice to go with that. And that's my way of making sure, okay, I am teaching the sixth grade standards. I'm making sure that they're getting all the skills that they need. Then we use the online platforms to either fill in gaps or push kids. And then with that playlist time, that's where I can start to try to get that personalized learning piece, whether that's a project that we're doing or that's saying, okay, we're learning about this. Now, what can you do with it? How can you take it and show apply it? How can you find the problem? How can you ask the question? How can you identify a solution to your problem or question? So another thing is with those learner choice menus, I know you've talked about how you had the level up days. You're right, it does sound similar. But what we tried to do at the very beginning of the year was say, okay, here's your playlist. Here's all the things you need to do this week. And we'll be here to help you. And that really stressed kids out. And it stressed us out. And it wasn't productive because there's kind of these arbitrary timelines that didn't really work. So what we've started to do is introduce the playlist when it makes sense. 
So Monday and Tuesday might be direct instruction. Wednesday, we may be working on a project in science class. And then it may be Thursday where it's like, okay, now we've got these three or four different things introduced. These are the things that you need to work on. Here's your playlist for the next four or five days. And I think that's helped me manage the kids. It's helped the kids manage their time. It's helped the kids manage their assignments. And it's given them the confidence to take ownership of the learning. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for the instruction of a quality teacher. And sometimes there's like, there's lots of phrases that sometimes when we think kids are going to be able to direct where they want to go. And I think it's, you hit the nail on the head that most kids are going to freak out about that being like, well, what do you mean? Like, there's that phrase, like, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes it's like, how are kids expected to be like, I'm going to teach myself the curriculum or I'm going to all of a sudden try to explore and then where do I go? And then the teacher is going to pull the math from that, which is a great idea for sure that then that's what Kyle and I and lots of people who have made those three act math tasks have talked about that we can present these situations where we show real world scenarios or we show curious scenarios and we get the kids to feel like they're directing the learning. There's a lot to be said for the teacher who's actually directing where that learning goes, because then we can pull the math from it. I think there's a lot to be said for that quality math instruction from a teacher. Sometimes I think, Sam, that when we say kids are going to teach themselves on a certain day, and here's a list of topics that we have to accomplish, it's almost like in that zone of like, okay, here's the list of topics, and here's YouTube and Khan Academy, and go learn. Like, I've seen that model of math class and it scares me. And I've been in classes where they said that, you know, like, oh, we're all kind of moving at our own pace, which is great. But I feel like we're there to inspire those kids to love math. And sometimes if we just kind of let it go, they're not sure where to love math or what math to love and how to like appreciate it and see the power of like, you know, equivalent expressions. And I think there's a lot to be said where those really nicely crafted lessons that you've been doing. And I think you're completely correct to say like, you know, we can do some of this and some of that. And it's a great balance because you want to be in that position to like, spark that curiosity for your kids so that they love it and want to explore because it's like all about lifelong learning. And yeah, we're teaching them skills to learn what they can. But I think the difference there is we're telling them what to learn instead of like sparking curiosity so that they want to learn. And I really love that you've got that balance or you've realized that that balance has to happen. So I think that's, that's super important. Yeah. And, you know, I was just going to pop in there and mention too, like I'm kind of visualizing because Sam, you were saying like certain days of the week kind of look certain ways. And I'm visualizing in my mind as well, kind of picturing the idea of the menu, the, you know, you were saying it, you didn't feel it was super productive when you were giving, let's say the list to students at the beginning of the week. And I wonder if even taking that same idea and trying to do it in almost like slowly releasing that. It's kind of like similar to our curiosity path where we withhold information. It's kind of similar in that regard where early in the school year, John and I were setting up our course. A lot of times we would do a few lessons and it was like the topics for students to work on wasn't very broad initially because it was the beginning of the year. But as the year went on, then it was like those doors sort of open, the gates swing wider for students to have more opportunity for choice and to decide where they need to go next and and at what pace they're going to do it. So it's kind of like maybe a little bit of both there trying to find that happy medium, that balance. And it makes me wonder too of like how to kind of try to make those experiences, those we'll call them the curious experiences, those curiosity path sort of experiences where you're doing a problem-based lesson 
and these more personalized lessons where students are kind of working and you're walking around the room and trying to conference with students as you're going, like how can you bring those two scenarios and kind of link them so that they feel connected instead of disjointed? When you're thinking about that, what John's just mentioned and this idea of trying to smooth out that ride a little bit and make it feel like, you know, instead of it being like today's this type of day and tomorrow's that type of day, it's sort of like it's this is the week. And like as we progress through some of the learning, it's like you're shifting through these different modes instead of it being like today is this and tomorrow's something completely different. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a lot of thoughts. I want to go back to one thing John said about like the Khan Academy thing, like putting kids on the computer and all that, because I think that does tend to happen when you start to get into this idea of personalized learning and individualized learning. It's that sometimes it gets defined as how fast can kids move through stuff. And it's like, I have a sixth grader who's doing calculus. So this is personalized learning. And But then like those light bulb moments that you were talking about of like making the connections in class, those kind of fall off. So I think personalized learning is more of an idea than necessarily something you could see or touch and thinking about how you can take that idea and help your instruction. But Kyle, you were saying, how do you kind of make class go smooth? So you're not just, I guess, going from different format to different format for the kids, which can be hard for them to follow. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And and I guess too, also for you, like, as the educator, I think it's really hard on us when we're doing one thing this day and something different the next day. I guess what I'm envisioning is we always come back to this idea of planning with intentionality that the work that students are going to do in this more of like this, we'll call it personalized setting is linked to that problem-based learning lesson so that it's kind of like built off of it, right? It's like that part John's talking about, about inspiring students and helping them to see the beauty and essentially helping them bump into really interesting scenarios. Because that's the other thing that we often miss when we go into a more independent sort of student-driven experience is what if they don't bump into the math and see and really like sort of catch on to some of those strategies that you're hoping they'll arrive at unless we really intentionally craft those experiences. And then there's always time for them to like build on those skills. And that would be that purposeful practice where I see some of this personalized sort of approach sort of fitting in really nicely. But then it's kind of like it goes together. It's almost like you're picturing it as like a block of multiple days that are connected. So it's not like we'll do this sometimes and do that sometimes. It's like this is the process we kind of go through. We'll call it almost like iterating through like a cycle of this is how we learn. Like we were inspired by this new idea. And then from that idea sparks all these other associated related ideas and topics. And then there's still choice as well for students to kind of explore in different areas. Yeah. You know, what's kind of funny is I've taken the five practices for orchestrating discussion and kind of applied that to my whole planning process. So take last year, for example, for doing a three-act task, you're going to take the five practices and think about what are the mistakes they're going to make? How am I going to monitor this? Which pieces of work am I going to select? And then how am I going to connect all that? Well, I'm kind of taking that same idea, but thinking about it in almost an entire unit. So if we're learning about... I keep going back to ratios. Let's change it up. Say we're learning about solving equations. Well, hey, ratios are so messed for kids, right? So let's keep I talking mean, about I ratios. Feel like I, I feel like that's sixth grade. If you got ratios, you're going to be great. <laughs> yep, yep. But you know, I anticipate and almost going back to like when you read Peg Smith's work, like step zero, what can I select to get kids interested in ratios right off the bat? And that's where I think the three act tasks or any other interesting lab or lesson that you're doing in your class is something where you can have a launching point, but then anticipating where are the math mistakes that kids are going to make and where are kids going to resort to if I give them a chance to show mastery in a way that they want to. And what I mean by that is if you have one student coming up with an idea, all of a sudden you have 10 students that have that idea too. So how do I anticipate that? to make sure that kids are having those light bulb moments, those moments that matter when they're the ones kind of driving the learning. That's kind of hard to do. But I think teaching kids how to brainstorm 
and how to get feedback from their peers and how to ask for feedback from adults and also kind of coaching the kids through how do you give each other meaningful feedback, go beyond just saying, oh, that's cool, that's good, and talking about, hey, what if you did this? What if you connect it to that? So I think that helps too. And then just monitoring where kids are at and what progress they've made on certain points and then selecting certain students to highlight their work to display that for the rest of the class. I think as far as planning all of this out, there's still just the straight up, this is the sixth grade math that we're learning. And I'm still planning out how to teach the direct instruction and how to go through the practice and how to teach kids to connect a double number line to a ratio table, and then how to take that a step further and calculate unit rate. Like That planning all still happens. And all that progression still happens, but then it's also planning out with that, how do you make sure that you're monitoring everything else that's happening in your class? I think it's a really interesting way to think about planning for big ideas and units. I think that's a great way to frame out for all those benefits you just mentioned by taking the five practices and not thinking about it as a micro level, like a lesson level, but think of it as a macro level, like a bigger multiple lessons where you're building in huge ideas like peer assessment, self-assessment, confidence. I really like how you've used those same five terms and you built on these ideas for kids for deeper learning than just math content, but also big skills that they would take with them to other grades. So I think that's really great of you to kind of like see that connection between the five practices lesson-wise. I think that connection piece at the end is the most important part now for me, like thinking back to when I would normally plan a lesson. I don't know if you can say like any particular step is the most important. I know we always say step zero, pick an exciting task, but I would say probably the selecting process was my most important. So knowing how sequencing, knowing how I was going to select and sequence things was the most important. But for me now, it's the connection piece. How do I make sure that the students are making a connection with whatever skill or topic we're talking about so that they remember it, right? That's what I want. I want them next year or next month or in 10 years to remember, hey, I made a cooking show when I was learning about unit rates and percents. Maybe I don't remember the exact math to it, but I know there's a connection with math and cooking. And I know that's something that I'll remember and think about. Well, you know, to me, it sounds like you've got a lot of good connections going on here. And it's probably maybe buzzing around in your mind a little bit, like still a few things that you'll have to kind of grab and reflect on after. But what I'm hearing is that the process, like the problem-based lesson process is a really important part. And I think that's one thing that in my experience, visiting a lot of classrooms that are focusing on personalization in math classes, that what I find is that those lessons, we tend to go too far to away from our problem-based lessons. And now it's kids working at their own pace. But then at that point, I worry about the lost discourse opportunities. I worry about my ability to create an intentional experience. And for, like you had said, that consolidation and making connections, like the connections piece at the end. So to me, it sounds like you've got all the elements right there waiting for you. And I know you've been using the curiosity task tool inside the academy here and there. And I know that you've mentioned to us that that's been helping you with your anticipating and planning out that process, those five practices. So I think if you look in there now, there's actually more and more of these problem-based units that we're releasing. And I had just mentioned this to you in, in an email earlier in the week where where now what we're trying to do is actually taking this idea of instead of it being a one-hit wonder sort of three-act math task style lesson, it's that task that first day actually launches like four, five, six days where we build in math talks, where we build in purposeful practice. And those days that are kind of organized in a way that builds off of the connections that we've made in the consolidation from the previous day, really, I think, will give you an opportunity to dive deeper into this personalized learning piece. Because for John and I, the personalized piece is really all about helping us with assessment, helping students to be able to continue getting better. 
we didn't talk about it today, but for those who are listening, this idea that to personalize learning, one of the biggest things we can do is that standards-based grading that you had already mentioned that you're using and the ability for students to be able to come to me at any point in the school year to show me what they know and that they can up, we always call it leveling up or whatever you want to call it, where we've personalized the assessment process. So to me, it's like that personalization is really heavy towards the assessment piece where students can move at their own pace and at the speed of learning, as Graham Fletcher would like to say. And really, we still want to keep those problem-based lessons at the core of what we do. So that, to me, is kind of like the engine that keeps things moving. So we're kind of getting close to the end here. I'm wondering if we flip it back to you one last time to maybe reflect with us live on the air here, what's something that you've taken away from this conversation that you'll walk away and sort of chew on a little bit as we continue along this journey we call math learning? I'll give you a couple. One, I think knowing where to find your resources and how to use those resources, like your guys' platform is super helpful for me. Like when I'm looking at like that hot chocolate whole, I think you guys have like the whole week planned out for that, that lesson and that's ratios, right? My favorite. But I think a lot of what I'm trying to compile together, like taking open up resources and taking different three-act tasks and kind of trying to mash all that together, you guys have nicely weighed out there. So knowing where to find your resources, if you're going to try to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, I would almost say that's your step zero as a teacher. The other thing I think you guys said, one of the fears with personalized learning is losing out on the rich discourse. And I think that's absolutely a valid concern. I think one approach that I'm having is maybe not having as much math discourse with the kids, but having discourse, like I talked about with giving feedback and discourse about more character skills. So what's your self-awareness when it comes to this lesson? How are you approaching this lesson with a growth mindset? How are you thinking about how you're being a global citizen when you're coming up with this new invention that you want to invent? Is there going to have be some adverse effect? So I think there is definitely a trade-off, right? Because you only have so much time in your classroom. So if you're thinking about doing something where you're saying, I want to personalize and I want to give more opportunities for kids to identify problems and kids to create, that is sometimes less time for talking about what did you do on your ratio table and what did you do on your double number line and which is better, the ratio table or the double number line? So I think you just have to be intentional about what you're trying to accomplish for your classroom and your kids before you just say, I'm going to jump into this because then you're going to end up with probably those negative definitions of personalized learning where you have kids sitting on a computer working through continuums as fast as they can and kids are not getting chances to go back and show their mastery on different topics. So yeah, I'd say that's kind of what I'm thinking after our conversation. Awesome. Yeah. You know, Sam, as always, you're such a reflective teacher, a teacher who puts it all out there. It's pretty brave of you to come on here and to talk about things that you're working through. So we got to put our hats off to you. So that's pretty awesome of you. And I think you've got some great takeaways there thinking about especially that whole like when we start those lessons, like what do we value in education? What do we value in our students? How can I get that out of them? So awesome job here, Sam, and this episode. And we definitely want to thank you for joining us here. And next year, we'd love to bring you back on, see how things are going, like keep this going to see like this progression would be awesome for us to keep these talks open and going. And uh, if you're okay with that, we'd love to have you back next year to do uh, the same old thing here. Yeah, hopefully we're not doing the same old thing next year, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> True. Hey, if you keep progressing like you have, you know what? You're definitely reflective. We appreciate you. And I know your students appreciate you. And the, the Math Moment Maker community, I'm sure, appreciates these conversations. So thanks for taking the time. And we really look forward to continuing to follow along in the journey with you. Yeah, thank you guys for all the hard work you guys are doing for math in general. We all appreciate it as teachers. Well, there you have it. Sam Brotherton from St. Louis. Thanks, Sam, for joining us on another Where Are They Now episode. We know that you're working wonders for your students, and we're proud to have you in the Math Moment Maker community.
This was another Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come where we'll chat with folks like you from the Math Moment Maker community who are working through common challenges and struggles. And together, we'll brainstorm ideas and next steps to help overcome them. If you want to join us on a podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode where you too can share the big math class struggle, you can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. Have you registered for the Make Math Moments Academy yet? Remember, we currently have a 30-day free teacher license available for any math moment maker from around the world to access our academy, professional development courses, including our latest course on how to make math moments from a distance. Join in or watch the replays of our monthly Q&A web calls. Watch over 20 virtual summit session replays and access our Make Math Moments problem-based tasks and full units of study with teacher guides. It's all in the Make Math Moments Academy. Get on it before it goes away at makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each Monday morning, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach an even wider audience by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet us your biggest takeaway by tagging at Make Math Moments on Twitter, on Instagram at Make Math Moments, and find us on Facebook. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 81. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 81. Well, you know what that means. Until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.